So we are in Ta- we are in Tanya. We're in the middle of chapter thirty-six. We are on one sixty-seven on the bottom of your Tanya in an English Hebrew. It should be on page one hundred and sixty-seven. Um, and really, right in the middle of the page, you see there's a little like footnote um, with an asterisk before. We're holding. We're not going to read the footnote. We're holding in the regular Tanya on the first line of those short lines, those half lines. Vigam. Vigam kvar Um What are we talking about here? So, this chapter, and we had either one or two classes on this chapter already, I don't remember. Um, but this chapter talks about perhaps one of the most foundational questions that Hasidus talks about or that people talk about, and that is, what is the purpose of creation? A simple question, a simplistic question, and a very deep question. Right? Is the wish of Hashem? So, but what was Hashem's goal? What was the plan? What was the idea? Um, and there are different approaches to that, even within Torah, within Torah uh, Sfarim, within different sources. You'll find different approaches. What What exactly did Hashem want here? What's the purpose? You know, we know that we have to do the mitzvahs and learn the Torah and be good people. But what's the idea? What's the What's the goal? And Tanya, in this chapter, chapter 36, quotes a medrash. The medrash says what's become a very, very famous quote, especially amongst Chabad Hasidim. I'm going to wager that you can ask a typical Chabad six-year-old this question, and he should be able to spit out this medrash. And it is, Nis'ave HaKadosh Baruch God desired, Lihioslo, that there be for him, Dira, a dwelling place, Bitachtonim in the lowest realms of creation. So he's looking for a dwelling place in Tachton, in the lowest in the lowest realms of creation. Which means, very simply said, God has angels and he has all different types of spiritual worlds and celestial worlds and Kabbalistically there's four basic worlds and many um, sub-worlds and spheros and there's all types of spiritual things going on. And really when you talk about spirituality, it's a chain. There's the higher worlds and the lower and the lower and the lower. What makes one world lower than the next? It really all boils down to one thing. How concealed is Hashem, dear? If Hashem is only concealed a little bit, then it's a very spiritual place. The more Hashem conceals Himself, the more non-spiritual the place becomes. Which world is the lowest rung? This one. This one is the one where Hashem is most concealed. Hashem has so concealed Himself in this world, that even though on the one hand he creates it and he inspires it and he energizes it and he directs it, at the same time you can have people in this world saying, this Hashem, where? I don't know Hashem, it's, it's nature, it's whatever, it's science. Um, so Hashem creates this world in which he is so concealed that his existence can be denied by this world. This therefore is the lowest of all worlds. And what Hashem wanted in creation is to create a very lowly world a place with all different types of um, tests and all different types of um, challenges and that we should be able to bring Hashem in a revealed way into this world through our Torah, through our mitzvahs, through our behavior, uh, selfless behavior, holy behavior, godly behavior, to be able to make this world the world that Hashem calls home. And that is, in a nutshell, so... Really, if you, if you break down that medrash to two words, the two words are dira bitachtonim, a dwelling place in the lowest world, and that's what Hashem wants. And in fact, I'll mention something that I don't think I said then when we learned it. There is a very interesting debate among some of the greatest Jewish um, halachic authorities 
which is what's the end plan for this world? What's the end goal? After Mashiach comes. Okay, Mashiach comes, we build a base of Mikdash in Israel, and we all go to Israel. Okay, but then what? Like, what's the end game? So there's a very interesting fundamental debate, and that is um, Maimonides says that ultimately, after Mashiach comes, and after it will be the resurrection of the dead, and after everything, there will come a time when all the souls will leave our bodies and just live with Hashem forever. Mm. That's Maimonides' opinion, Rambam, that ultimately the neshamas, the souls, will leave the body, go back to Hashem, and just connect to Hashem and, and have a great time spiritually with Hashem. That's Maimonides' endgame. The question would be, that why would there be the rebirth then? Right, so he talks about that, and he says, you know, why would there be the resurrection? Yeah. And what he says is the following, very interesting, it's a good question, so let me talk about that. He says, the reason there has to be a resurrection is because the body that served Hashem also has to receive its reward. So all the people who served Hashem for a you know, thousand years ago, and they served body and soul. So the body has to come back in this world to be rewarded and be able to experience the coming of Mashiach and what all of that. But ultimately, the body will disappear and will just be souls. Be and, world. I'm sorry? There'll be no physical world. No, yeah. Ultimately, there won't be a physical world. He says, because ultimately, the soul cannot experience God in a body in the realest form. So ultimately, that's what he says. That is Maimonides' approach, which makes a lot of sense, but that's his approach. Nachmanides, Ramban, who considered himself a disciple of Maimonides, well, he lived about 50 years later, but definitely a great disciple of his works and a defender of his. But he argues, and he says that's not true. He says the end game is in this world. Mashiach will come, there will be the resurrection of his dead, and we'll be human beings and we'll connect to Hashem as human beings in this world, for, for as long as we can imagine. That's what Nachmanides says. So there's a, that's a very interesting debate at what the end game is. The last after everything runs its course, you know, after the base of Mikdash, after the resurrection, after everything. Now what? So Rambam says ultimately it's going to be souls. Nachmanides says ultimately it's going to be bodies, people, human beings. Kabbalah and Hasidus rules in this question with Nachmanides. That it's going to be soul and body. That the end game is this world and soul and body, and that's how we'll experience Hashem. Well, right, it also wouldn't make, the, it wouldn't make that much sense because we said the whole reason why the world was, why the, why the world was, um, created, was created was because Hashem wanted to dwell down, down here. here. Exactly. That's what so, he wants. Why and, would that ever Exactly. Be? And that's where, that's why Kabbalah and Hasidus rules with Nachmanides. Based on this concept discussed in this chapter, that Hashem's ultimate plan and His purpose was to create a place where He is concealed, to create a place where, which is the lowest of the rungs, and in that place to be able to call home. Do people still die after Mashiach comes? Well, so that's also an area of debate. It's not clear. I mean, ultimately, there will be resurrection. Once there's resurrection, there's no reason to die. The question is... No, because they, those people could have come back to experience Mashiach, and now they've experienced enough. So good question. Um, that, according, according to the approach of, of Kabbalah and Hasidus, ultimately we're going to be here, which is, a, which is the approach of Nachmanides. Ultimately, we're all going to be here and not die. That's, that's, that's definitely that... Um, you know, when it comes to Mashiach, as much as we believe in Mashiach and it's one of the 13 principles of faith, 
but a tremendous amount of it is shrouded in mystery. Exactly what will be. I mean, we have the basics are very clear. You know, there's going to be a holy temple, and there's going to be a Mashiach, and we'll go to Israel. That's there. But as far as the hows and the whats and how it works out, over here there are a number of questions with different opinions. And Maimonides himself says, don't don't spend too much time on trying to figure it out because you won't know until you'll see it. That's what he says. Um, okay, be that as it may, now we're going to learn an interesting thing. And that is, and again, I'm in the middle of page 167, where the, where the page sort of splits, and the first line of those half lines. And Tanya is going to tell us that there was one time in history already that there was in this world of the revelation of Hashem, the same way will be when Mashiach will come. Excuse me. In other words, I'm, I'm sorry, I think I skipped something. That goal of Hashem living in this world is what Mashiach is all about. Because what, what we've been doing these last 3,300 years since the giving of Torah is bringing godliness into this world. Now, here's the thing. Many times people look around and say, the world doesn't look so godly to me, doesn't look so holy. People don't look so great. What we have to understand is that everything that we do in this world positive is accumulative. All the positivity, all the holiness, all the Torah, all the mitzvahs that have been going on for 3,300 years is accumulative, whether we see it or not. Because um, we only see physical things, but the spirituality and the holiness that's being brought into the world is cumulative. So when we say, and, and really the Rebbe and all the great uh, Torah leaders of the time say that Mashiach is, is is coming very close. So so you know, but but we're just simple people, and there were much greater tzaddikim living than us a hundred years ago, or two hundred, or five hundred, or a thousand. The answer is, but we're building on what they already did. We're finishing here a long process. So when Mashiach comes, is when Hashem peels back. The blanket over everything. It says, okay, this is what you people have been doing for a couple thousand years. And suddenly we're able to see how we have successfully brought Hashem into every aspect of creation. So Mashiach's coming is the time when Hashem will be fully revealed in this world. Once before in history was there that revelation. When was that? When was the greatest point of revelation in the history of the world? By Mamet Harsina. By Harsina, by the giving of Torah. Right? Interestingly, there are three, we talk about three great revelations in history. All three happened in a very short span of time, within two months. The first was the night of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. We say it in the Haggadah. That on that night, Nigla Aleyim Malach Malachi Amlachim HaKadosh Baruch that God revealed himself to the Jewish people. The second and even greater revelation was yeah, by Zbakriya Siyamsev, by the splitting of the sea, Zekeli Van Vehu, they pointed and they saw divinity. And the final one that eclipsed the other two was by the giving of Torah. We say in, um, in Chumash, it says, Ata Saladas, we say it in Davening, that Hashem showed Himself to us on that day when He gave us the Torah, which is the day that we celebrate as Shavuos. So what we're going to learn today is that at that moment, or that those few hours when Hashem gave the Torah, the world was flooded with divinity, similar to what will be when Mashiach will come. Let's, uh, so let's read that inside. It says, Vigam kvar hoya He says, There already was once in this world something akin or something similar to what will be when Mashiach will come. And that is Bishas Matan Torah. When the Torah was given to us at Sinai. Kedichsiv is the Pasuk says, as the verse says, Ata You, Hashem, have shown yourself to us, Ladas, for us to know you. Ki Hashem hu alukim, that God is God, ein od milvado, there's nothing but Him. At that moment, 
is when we were able to experience in the world how everything is but an expression of Hashem. Which is what we mean when we say in the davening, Ein od milvado, when we say there's nothing but Hashem. What does it mean? There's nothing but Hashem. There's me, there's you, there's tables, there's shears, there's walls. Nothing but Hashem means nothing independent of Hashem. It's all an expression of Him, His energy and His divinity. So, Haresa Mamsh, you showed yourself to us literally, Biriya Chushis, with the physical sense of sight. Just like we see tables, we saw the godliness then. Kirchsev, as the verse says, Vechal Ha'am Royim Esakolis, that the entire nation at that point saw the sounds. Royim Esanishma, we saw what's typically heard. And that's a very interesting idea. Um, if you look at the wording, if you look at the words when it comes to the giving of Torah, it says that we saw the sounds of Hashem. So Rashi says from the Gemara that we saw what typically is heard and we heard what typically is seen, which is a very odd type of a miracle. Why would we hear sounds, uh, 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 sights? And why would we see sound? Why would Hashem make such an odd miracle? Right, so there was a switch here. Question is why? I mean, we know Hashem doesn't make uh, miracles in vain. So obviously, if this odd thing happened that they saw what's typically seen and they heard what's typically, I'm sorry, they saw what's <laughs> typically heard. I feel like it's Purim. They <laughs> saw what's typically heard and they heard what's typically seen. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> right. So, so why why was this? So the way Hasidus explains this is very interesting. Which is, what do we typically see? Typically, we see physicality. Right? What do we hear about? Perfect. Spirituality. Now, what you see, what, is, what does the world say? Seeing believing. is believing. What you see, you know is a fact. So what do we relate to on a sight level is physical. Ideas, thoughts, concepts. I hear it. I understand. You know, you tell someone something, I hear what you're saying. We hear it. But we don't connect to it like a way of seeing. When it says by the giving of Torah, they saw what's typically heard, what it really says, is, what it really means is that our realities changed. The spirituality, which typically we only hear, then we saw. That which typically is just something I understand, is something that we actually saw. That means that Hashem's presence was so powerful in this world, that that's what we actually saw. The way we would typically see the table and the chair and something physical. And that was a reflection of the type of revelation that they experienced on that day. He says further, Upir Shurazal, our teachers of blessed memory taught us, Mistaklim lemizrach v'shoymen esadibur yoytza anoichi chulu. They look to the east and they hear the words anoichi. V'chein la'arbaruchais. Whichever way they turned their face, it seemed to them that the voice was coming from that direction. V'chein ulamayla, they looked above. Ulamata, they looked below. Wherever they looked, the voice was coming at them. Now, if that would happen nowadays, what would we say? Crazy. Stereo system. <laughs> What's the big deal? You put a speaker on every wall. When you're in a wedding hall and the music is coming, which side is it coming from? From everywhere, right? So this is a few thousand years pre-speaker system. And the sound of the giving of Torah, and this is something that many people don't realize. Many people think they were standing at the foot of the hill or the mountain, and they're looking up, and they heard the voice coming from the top of the mountain. 
And here we're learning that that's not what it was. They were standing by the mountain, but the voice was coming at them from every direction. And he says, Ukidapir Shubitikunim, as written in the Tikunim, which is a part of the Zohar, Delays Asar, there was no place, Deloy Malil Minei Imhoin. There was no side that Hashem wasn't speaking to them from. So Hashem was speaking to them from every side. Why? What's the point? What tri- Again, another trick Hashem pulled out of his head. You know, I'll, I'll say the Asar Sadibros from every direction. What was the point of that concept? And the point is the same. The point is that at that point, Hashem was so revealed in the world, where is Hashem? Everywhere. So that's where he spoke to them from. You know, the level of revelation of that moment was such that they recognized that Hashem is everywhere. So that if Hashem is speaking to me, it's coming to me from every direction because that's where Hashem is. I think it says about one of the great um, Hasidic masters, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking it was Rabbi Yisrael of Ruzhim. Anyone heard of the Ruzhiner? One of the great Hasidic Sadiqim. I think it was him. I may, I may make a mistake. Thank you very much. So uh, the way I hear the story is, that when he was a child, he was maybe, I don't know, four years old, and everyone knew he was a smart child, wise child. So someone walked over to him and says, he says, Shalik, I'll give you a ruble if you tell me where Hashem is. So he answers back without thinking, and I'll give you two if you tell me where he isn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> Hashem is everywhere. So that's what it means by the giving of the Torah, they heard Hashem from every direction. Because at that point, it was evident it was felt by everyone how Hashem is everywhere. As he says here, four lines on the bottom, The reason for the intense revelation that there was by the giving of Torah was because of the revelation of Hashem's will in the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments, the Aseris Hadibris, contain within himself the entire Torah. Which is the internal the will and wisdom of Hashem. When Hashem's wisdom and will is revealed, so there's no concealment. Um, in fact, there's 620 words in the Aserah Sadibros. Ten Commandments, if you, read up, if you count up the words, there's 620 words, and that represents the 620, well, 613 mitzvahs of the Torah, plus the seven rabbinic mitzvahs seven basic rabbinic mitzvahs, and that's a 620, because the Ten Commandments, they are the expression of the entire Torah. And in fact, the number, the Hebrew number for 620 is, I'm sorry? It's Keser, which is the crown, that crown, which is Hashem's crown, um, which expresses itself in Hashem's Torah. So as we, and we say that in Davening, Kemosh HaKosov, in the last line, Ki ba'or panecha nasata lanu Torah chayim. We say that in, um, in Sim Shalom. That by the light of your countenance, you've given us the Torah of life. Which means this idea that when Hashem gave us the Torah, He gave it to us in a state of full revelation. Now, what happened when Hashem gave us the Torah? How did we take it? No one heard the Medrash? Every time when Hashem said the first commandment, it says that it was too great for us and our souls left our bodies. So we all died. That's very anticlimactic. <laughs> Here Hashem comes to give us the Torah, poof, they all, they're all gone. Resurrected, you call us all. So he resurrected us. I don't know, he did it with himself, he didn't have to call us all. He resurrected us, said the next one of the commandments, and we died again. 
And here the Gemara tells us, so what happens? Then we come to Moshe and we say, Moshe, please, <laughs> you talk to Hashem. You know, that this dying and resurrected, it's terrible for the heart. You know, it's, it's not healthy. Um, we can't handle it. But why, ta- why do we talk and die? Because there was such an intense level of revelation of Hashem that we were all, we ceased to be our own entities. Because to be alive is to be my own entity. But when we were just totally overtaken or awestruck by the presence of Hashem, our souls just all left our bodies. And that's what he says. Um, and that's why everyone who was there at the giving of Torah just became totally nullified. As, the, as our teachers, our masters teach us in the Talmud, that on every one of the commandments, or more specifically the first two commandments, the souls left the people. Ella, it's just, God returned the neshamas to the people. Bital with the dew, Sha'asid lahachayos bo esamesim. He used the same dew that he's going to use to resurrect the dead when Mashiach comes. Which means, if you think about it, that in that day of the giving of Torah, you really had the whole story of Mashiach. You had the full revelation of Hashem. You even had the resurrection of the dead. Everything happened. It was like in a, in a one day, it was like a, like, what's that? Like a synopsis. A, a, a synopsis of everything that's going to happen. So well, there's going to be a great revelation, and there was even the resurrection of the dead. V'hu tal Torah. This is the dew that comes from Torah, Shanikra Oz, which is called Oz, which is strength. Kemayim again as brought from the Gemara, Kol HaOisik B'Torah, whoever is truly involved in Torah, Tal Torah Mechayehu, the dew of Torah, gives him chayis, gives him energy, and gives him life. So therefore, what we have over here, what he tells us, is that this entire concept that we're working towards, which is the coming of Mashiach and the revelation of Hashem in the world and all the details of that, including the resurrection of the dead, all that already happened. It happened one time in history when Hashem gave us the Torah. So great, so what happened? So what went wrong? If Hashem gave us the Torah and then we were resurrected, then where did the one happen? So here he says, he says, but Rak, it's only Shachar Kach, after that, after the giving of Torah, Goram Hachet. The sins of the people, or specifically the great sin. Well, the great sin after the giving of Torah was the golden calf, the Chet HaEgel. V'nisgashmu heim v'ha'ilo. So the people and the world became more, um, more, nisgashmu literally is to be more physical. And here you hear translate, they became gross again. Okay, in other words, we left that spiritually exalted state. So, the giving of Torah, it was wonderful. Full revelation of godliness, resurrection of the dead, everything was there, but then we sinned. We messed up. And therefore, we lost that state of elevation. How do you get from the huge, so high to... Right. So, here the, so the question is why? Like, what happened? You want something physical. I'm sorry? Right, right. But the question is, when Mashiach will come, we'll have that revelation, and we're not, we're not going to sin again a week later or a month later. Right. So, what's the difference? So, what is the difference? And the difference is a very interesting point, and I'll say it in a very short. The difference is that by the giving of Torah, 
it was a tremendous revelation and tremendous um, exalted state, but it was all a gift from above because we didn't do much for it. Right? 50 days earlier, we were in Egypt. And in Egypt, we weren't very holy people. So Hashem pulls out of Egypt and gives us this tremendous shot of spirituality and revelation like no one ever had and no one ever will have. Anything that you receive that you didn't really work for and create and internalize really won't last because you didn't internally change. Anything, and it can be the greatest thing in the world. If it's not something that came from within, it's an inspiration that came from above, it's not something that's really going to last because it didn't come from internal effort and change. And that's the difference between the, the giving of Torah on the 6th of Sivan and the coming of Mashiach. That's for Milo versus Lamar. Exactly, exactly. In other words, when Mashiach comes, it's a product of 3,300 years of work. Now, it's going to be the same type of revelation as the first time around. But this time it's a revelation that's initiated by effort, by mysterious nefesh, by holding on to our Yiddish guy through thick and thin for thousands of years, be going through every corner of the earth, going through every form of persecution, and living it, and learning it, and dying for it, and doing terror mitzvahs, that's an earned revelation. Earned with effort, with sweat, and that one is going to be everlasting. So when you ask the level of revelation, same thing. But one is initiated, precipitated by work, by effort, by, by, an, by the human experience. And that's why the world and we will be ready to receive it in an everlasting way versus the way it was the first time around. And that's the difference. Will it be Parchanish Masa and No. Because then we'll have learned how to be able to live with it. In other words, the first time around it was so great, the body had nothing to do with it. The soul just went to Hashem. Mm -hmm. And then Hashem put it back into our body. But it was all a soul experience. But when Mashiach comes, the bodies have, have gone through it. Again, Terimitz is all to bring it into our goof, into the world. So the world and the bodies become, have become a keli, a vessel, to be able to receive that type of level of godliness. And that's why the Taka won't be Parchanesh Masa. And that's why we talk about passing like the Ramban, not the Rambam, that, that it's going to be in the world. It's going to stay in the world. And what was the verdict of Hashem doing in this way that, that was Parchanesh Masa then? Oh, so why did we go through? So in other words, why did Hashem give us something that was so transient that only lasted for, 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 49, for 49 days or 41 days? The answer is, it was like a, a shot of ability, of energy. It empowered us to get to there one day. A lot of times you, give, you get something at the beginning that's not going to stay, but that already gives you a feel for it, a taste of it, a connection to it. Uh, a similar concept we learn, the Gemara says that every uh, a fetus, when it's in his mother's womb, learns the entire Torah. But then, you forget it. So here's the question again. So why do you learn it? Why do you learn it to forget it? The answer is, once you learned it one time, the next time around you learn it, you can connect to it on a different level. Same thing is here. Once this revelation came into the world, even though that revelation left, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's mark, it's residue, it's there, and empowers us to ultimately get back to there. So we're like working towards getting it in the right Exactly. 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 We were given the concept, we were given the idea, we were given the kayak. Now let's go work and do it. And that's what we're doing. Is that why Nathan brings it? Yeah. Like to, for of course, because that's related to this period. He's not just telling a historical fact. You should know what happened one time. That historical fact becomes the initiation and becomes the empowerment for bringing that back when Mashiach will come. Mm -hmm. And, and um, what would be an example of, um, of the 
something that if you didn't really work for it, it likes that. It just like goes. Oh, well, many examples. Right. The best example is inspiration. Uh, you know, many times we were just inspired. We have a very inspirational moment or inspirational evening or an event, and that's it. We're really inspired. We're going to change. We're going to better people, and that's it. And that lasts until. I was also saying in two thousand. We went to the thing. I was saying how we're going to retain the inspiration from the trip. Well, that's what we were talking about. That's that. what we talked about. Right? I brought that up in the. I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember. It. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, yeah. they, they brought up is like we're going to go back to Chicago. How we, we're all inspired right now. We're in seventy right. something with right. the house. So what's going to be? You know, how are we going to retain that? That's this? always the trick. Always the trick is to make sure to, to tie down an inspiration to something practical, to something that I'm actually going to do. And to make it very practical and very clear and very limited, the the more simple it is, the more proud, the more chance. Because when you when you when you draw down the inspiration to something you're going to do about it, that's when it becomes something that's so much more meaningful and eternal within the person. So that's the same thing. Matan Torah was the ultimate inspiration, but they didn't do much for it. They didn't, they didn't prepare for it. They didn't take much from it, and therefore it, it sort of fell apart. And since then, we're working. And you know, Torah mitzvahs many times. We're called on to do what we got to do, even if we're uninspired. Right? Life is not about being inspired. Life is about doing the right thing. Um, inspirations are nice. Inspirations perhaps push us to do the right thing. But ultimately, it's about doing it. Um, and when we do it, we're creating, we're making real vessels that when we're inspired, it will truly live within us in a, in a different way than just something that I'm inspired and then I move on to not doing anything again. What's the flip side of you said the first thing is that you just get inspired and then nothing happens and the flip side is what you like work on it. Yeah, when you take the inspiration and you decide, okay, so what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do because of this? So I was inspired. So what resolution am I going to make? And what way am I going to do some small, practical, but real change? The expression, you know, taking like baby steps, doing little by little, and then it actually sticks, building a foundation. If you build a house without a foundation, it falls. So one thing I was saying is, so it looked, you know, we say like, wow, how could they, you know, how could they have done that sin of the golden calf? But really it was almost a step in the right direction because every other commandment that they got, they died. So here at least they didn't die. They just like, they just messed up spiritually. And it really was like almost the same thing. Like they couldn't handle it. So that what are you going to do if you can't handle it? Like run to, run to sin. Right. There's different ways of handling an inability Different ways of expressing an inability to handle something. Okay, that's true. I mean, it's important to understand not all the Jewish people sinned with the golden calf. Mm-hmm. There was the the ones who were who really the insinuators of the sin was really the uh, Erevrav, which is the Egyptians that came out of Egypt with them, who weren't really converts even. Um, they were ones, and they were totally paganistic to begin with. But the the critique against the Jewish people was that they didn't stand up to them. They sort of, uh, you know, followed along primarily. Aside from the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Levi did, never got involved at all. And that's how they became the Kohanim, the Levim, and so on. So that, that's when they became the special tribe because they held strong even then. That's a very powerful point to that. Like the whole problem was that we didn't stand up for it. Not that we even did it. Right. That's true. That's true. Okay. Ad eis keitz hayamin. The line starts with the words keitz hayamin until the end of days. In other words, this. So we had the giving of Torah, so we had this tremendous revelation, and then there was the sin, and therefore the world becomes again very material um, and much more physical until the end of days. Sha'az, because then, and that's coming of Mashiach. 
excuse me, Sha'az Yizdachich Gashmius Haguf Vahoilam. Then when Mashiach will come, the, phys- the physical body and the physical world will have become refined. V'yuchlu lekabil gilui ir Hashem sheyoir liYisrael, and the, again the, the human body and the world will be able to receive the revelation of Hashem that will shine to the Jewish people through the Torah. Shenikras oiz, which is called oiz, which is called strength, as we said earlier, that the Torah empowers the world and the person to be able to receive these highest levels of godliness. Now. Now, in the last few lines of this chapter, he says something very fascinating, something very important to know. And that pertains to a, a question that you'll hear countless times, is what's the story with the non-Jewish people when Mashiach comes? Where do they fit into the picture? Right? Is Mashiach just coming for the Jewish people? What about the rest of the world? The Jewish people are a, a small fraction of... Okay, so they, so they won't have wars, but you know, what is the, the great revelation of godliness of the time they convert? How will that really? So everyone it does. Will recognize God so it doesn't say they'll convert, but everyone will recognize godliness, and everyone will connect and serve to God according to the way that they could and should. And that's what he says here. <coughs> he says, <laughs> From this tremendous light revelation for the Jewish people, Yagia Choshech Ha'Umais Gamkein. So the darkness of the rest of the nations of the world will also become brightened. Kedichsev, as the Pasuk says, V'halchu goyim l'oirich v'goymer. The Pasuk says that the goyim, goyim literally means the nations. The nations will walk by your light. And that's the Pasuk from the Navi Yishayo, from the Isaiah, Isaiah Yishayo. He says that it won't just be a light for the Jewish people, but through the light that will be by Klal Yisrael, so all the nations will go to that light. Uksiv, and it brings another pasuk, which says, Beis Yaakov l'chu v'nelcha. And this he says, also from Yeshayo, again, many, many or most of the great prophecies of the redemption are from the Navi Yeshayahu. In fact, the name Yeshayahu comes from the word Yeshua, which is salvation. And he's the one who prophesies his redemption. So he says in the second uh, verse, he says, Beis Yaakov, the house of Jacob, which is the Jewish people, l'chu, Go, v'nelcha, and we will go as well, say the nations of the earth, b'er Hashem, with the light of Hashem. So here's the nations of the earth talking and saying, you go in the light of Hashem and we'll follow. Uksiv, and finally, a third prophecy, also from the Navi Yishayo, v'nigla k'veid Hashem, that the glory of Hashem will be revealed, v'ra'u kol basar yachta v'gaymer, that all a flesh will see together, um, we'll see together that revelation of Hashem, Uksiv, and fourth pasuk. It says there that everyone will be awestruck from the fear of Hashem. Love satsurim that will come into the crevices of the stones, the cracks in the rocks. Hashem because of the fear of Hashem and his and his greatness, etc. And finally, he finishes with a pasuk that we say in davening of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Says, we ask that Hashem should appear in his greatness on all the inhabitants of the earth. So we're clearly, we daven for all the inhabitants of the earth. 
And that's, and again, I, I, it's an important point because, you know, especially today, the world is a much more open world and everyone has friends, Jews and non-Jews and friends and close and people. And it's important to understand that the terrorist perspective is not that there will come a time when Hashem will obliterate uh, 5 billion people. That's a terrible mistake. Hashem doesn't create billions of people in order to uh, destroy them. So everything in this world has a purpose. A yid has a purpose, and a guy has a purpose, and an animal has a purpose. And the idea of Mashiach is that everything will reach its purpose, and everything will be able to see how it's part of that picture that Hashem made. But one of the basic beliefs of Hashgacha Pratis means that everything in this world serves a purpose. Every single person, and every single being, and every single entity serves a purpose. And the state of revelation is when everything is able to do its purpose, recognize its purpose best. You know, the lack of uh, redemption is when everyone's trying to do what someone else is. When I'm trying to do their purpose, they're trying to... But when something, some, for something to work well for Hashem's world, to work in perfection, is when everything does its purpose. And therefore, a yid has his mitzvahs, and a guy has his mitzvahs, and a man has his mitzvahs, and a woman has her mitzvahs, and everyone has their exact purpose and their goal and what they're created for in Hashem's perfect plan. So in the time of Mashiach, which is the time of ultimate revelation, is when everyone and everything is able to recognize their purpose and everything recognizes how they are serving Hashem and serving their purpose in Hashem's work. Do you, do you see if this, this concept we were discussing is already Caleb? Explain. The idea of the Latin Torah sounds like we didn't have a Caleb to, to yeah. receive your. Yeah, well said. Well said. The vessels were not refined and they were not ready to receive the type of light that was being given to them, and therefore the vessels couldn't handle it. And that's really what it means, that the soul leaves the body, that there, that, that connection of vessel and, and light doesn't work. And Mashiach is when there's a perfect symmetry between the soul and the body. And that's really what this entire chapter is about, the idea of Dira B'tachtonim, that Hashem wants that His intense and divine light should feel at home and comfortable in this world. In a way that there's no um, so we're making that no contradiction. Exactly. We're, we're building the kalim, or we're, we're, we're receiving the or both. We're both. We're, we're doing both, but pr- the primary avoda is to bring it into the kalim, to bring it into the vessel, to bring it into the world. Bay <coughs> Yes. Receive the or. Okay. Now, what's interesting is we have another couple minutes here. Let's finish, which is something very um, interesting. The Torah portions of these weeks that we're reading, Truma, Tesavik, Hesis, is all about the building of the Mishkan. Right? In the Torah, after the Torah is given, there's this intensely long section about building the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and all the details, and all the uh, vessels, and all the clothing, and the garments, and everything about the Mishkan. And why is that? Why is there so much time, and effort, and energy in the Mishkan, which was just a house? That's all it was. It, was, it wasn't even very big. So Tanya, in a, actually, I'm a couple of chapters ahead of this, but I want to bring out the point, says that the whole story of the Mishkan was actually a response to the giving of Torah. Which means the following. Hashem reveals Himself to us by the giving of Torah and we all die. What does that mean? That means that we couldn't handle it. So that's a very devastating concept. We leave Egypt, we're all excited, we're going to go meet Hashem, and we all die. So therefore Hashem turns around and says, you know what? Okay, it's not going to work out this way. I can't just reveal myself to you and you handle it, but I'll give you a way to create for me a dwelling place amongst you. And that's the Mishkan. So follow these rules and make exactly this and exactly that by these amounts and these things. I'm giving you the exact formulas and then I'll be able to rest amongst you. So really what you have in the giving of the Torah and the Mishkan is the giving of the Torah is this tremendous revelation 
but I got I can't bring it down. I can't live with it. I can't internalize it. Comes the Mishkan and says, "Okay, I'll give you an exact how-to sheet. Do this, do this, do this, and that's how I will be with you." And really, it's the same thing with all the mitzvahs. When Hashem says, okay, I want you to wear a pair of tefillin, which is made in a certain way, and I want you to eat kosher, which is made in a certain way, and I want you to put up a mezuzah, and I want you to keep this mitzvah and that mitzvah, what he's giving us is the how-tos. He says, I can't just reveal myself to you, because you'll all die. Instead, I'm giving you the ways, the mediums, through which I'm going to live with you in your home and in your heart, and your house, by following A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And that way, as you said, we create the vessels, we create the refinement, which makes us ready ultimately for the coming of Mashiach, when Hashem will again be as revealed as by the giving of Torah, but that this time around we'll be able to receive it properly, and handle it, and in, and therefore it will be, it'll be something permanent. So with that, we finish chapter 36. And Rish Hashem will start 37, which 37 is going to see very interestingly how the mitzvahs that we do actually lead to this. 37 is the how-to of 36. 36 says that's the plan, that's the goal. But how all the mitzvahs do, and specifically the mitzvah of tzedakah, all of that is discussed in chapter 37, which I hope to begin. So 